I'm Terry Mansfield. I'm the co-founder of the Arizona Department of Peace campaign, which is a grassroots inclusive transpartisan movement to create a cabinet level Department of Peace that will focus on ways to de-escalate violence in our community. It will also create a four-year National Peace Academy, which will focus on teaching conflict resolution mediation. Could it be that the Department of Peace movement that's been going on for the past six years, there's a bill in Congress right now to create this uh, Department of Peace, H.R. 808, introduced by Congressman Dennis Kucinich eight years ago. Could it be that this grassroots movement to create the Department of Peace on Earth is uh, propelling us forward to create peace in space? And that's where my focus is now. Thank you. I'm Bill Kirkland, and I live in Kansas, and my wife's name is Dot, and she lives in Iowa, you know. <laughs> so, I'm working as much as I can to try and get this information forward. But remember at home, and I didn't see anything. If I had, I would have taken a note back to reveal it. Okay? And I know that you people have done a remarkable job of doing this work. I'm being interviewed, I have probably three to four hours of interviews that have taken place here locally. Some of them are overseas, some of them are local. And Steve has said, if you get an opportunity to take an interview, please take it. And that's what I'm doing. Thank you. Speaking to the end of the mic, please. Okay, on the end of the mic. All right. I'm Milton Torres. I, unfortunately, uh, had the uh, scramble on a UFO to shoot him down. And since then, I was plagued with this. I had it kept quiet for over 50 years until the MOD just released the information and the phones just kept ringing off the hook. And I answer to anyone now that they've released it, I tell everybody all about it. And these people don't believe. Once they see one, they'll believe it. Believe me. And my wife was Dorothy. She couldn't come here. Her sister passed away. She had to go to the funeral. And so she's home. Plus, she's in her own world. She had all the soap operas, all of the home shopping network, uh, all those things she watches. I only stay on the, either the uh, Turner movie classics or, or, or the, the History Channel. The History Channel is my learning channel. Everything I used to know that I have forgotten, I relearned. Their universe is incredible. They come up with information. You know, it's just unbelievable how information keeps developing from all the wonderful things like the Hubble and what have you. And basically, I'm a proponent of letting us know what the hell is going on so that we can make our own minds. That's activism, my friend. By the way, Milt, uh, keep watching the History Channel because I got a feeling you're going to be on it pretty soon. <laughs> I'm, I'm Rebecca Hardcastle, and I'm the creator of Extra Consciousness, which talks about the extraterrestrial origins, dimensions, and ability to human consciousness. It's interesting today when Edgar Mitchell was talking about the end of the, or the demise of the Big Bang Theory, because one of the things that I'm working on is rooted in John Mack's work, where he talks about sensing the fear and the trauma of contact and experience and abduction also. And what we're able to do in the 21st century now is um, actually rewire those networks 
and not have to fence the trauma, but actually dissolve trauma. And that's one of the main things that I'm working on. In Phoenix, um, we're working on a UFO curriculum. I taught um, extraterrestrial reality at Southwest Community College, and we continue to work on what the post-disclosure world will look like, and it will look like um, extraterrestrial reality course-type courses and ufology-type courses in community colleges, high schools, and middle schools, even down into elementary schools. I also work with the phoenixlife.net um, group. One of the exciting things that that group is doing is we're taking, um, with Dr. Lindsay Pye and Larry Lowe, we're developing a Google Earth platform and then using software to build 3D images of what the, the night of the Phoenix Lights looked like. And we're finding mm -hmm. that it was actually not one craft, but an entire parade of craft that flew over Phoenix. And someday in the post-disclosure world, we're gonna take Google Earth type software and say, what happened emotionally in Phoenix, Arizona? What happened to the consciousness of the citizens of Phoenix, Arizona, and what does that look like as that map of consciousness changes? So there's lots happening in Phoenix. I hope you'll come visit. I'm Joe Bookman. I ran for Congress. Steve tells me I'm the third candidate for federal office to openly call for disclosure during my campaign. I ran as a libertarian, as I said here last year in this moment, about a year ago right now. I believe the universe is teeming uh, with libertarians. I don't believe there are any Republicans or Democrats out there. Uh, because libertarian political philosophy is grounded in the peaceful principle that no being has the right to initiate force of violence against another. Uh, I also have a grassroots exopolitical website, thepeopleofearthapologize.com. Because I believe we have a few things to apologize for in order for any peaceful, wise being to feel safe about dropping by and having a good time. I'm also part of an uh, a revolution in education. I just joined uh, Western Government University a couple of months ago as a department head where we do self-paced, competency-based uh, online education. And so I'm kind of at that intersection between uh, the realms of politics and education that Steve was talking about at the banquet last night. And finally, since I only have a minute here, I brought an hour-long interview I did on um, uh, an internet radio show a year ago. I'll be happy to give those away uh, to anybody who'd like to ask me for a CD and you know, all about it. Thing. And it's a pleasure to be sitting next to you, sir. Thank you for your words today. But why aren't you wearing an ex-conference t-shirt like Joe? I don't understand. Anyway, I think this is how I got double the amount of time to talk. Be sure to attend the 2010 <laughs> post-disclosure ex-conference that will be right here. And there are quite a few. There are a lot of t-shirts out there, folks. I'd love to sell you some. It helps to spread the word. So I'd appreciate it if you pick up some t-shirts. At least, if you, if you don't like t-shirts, give them to a friend or something, and they'll wear them. And people will want to know what that shirt means, right? Especially Please. Ed's Mitchell flying on the next shuttle. Yeah, and then, and then well, we have the campaign, the, the campaign to get Ed to wear that shirt, which I'm sure. First, let's get him on the shuttle, and then, then we'll do the shirt. Maybe 20. Alfred. Okay, thank you very much. I'm Alfred Weber, and um, of the Institute for Cooperation in Space. And I'm working on three main areas. 
One is to help educate people about the challenges and the transformational uh, avenues opening up now in Solar Cycle 24, which goes from 2009 to 2020, with the solar maximum coming up in 2012 to 2014. And uh, the challenges are both in terms of our infrastructure and an upgrade in our genetic and our consciousness makeup. And what may lie at the other end of it is a veritable golden age. The other two focuses we'll be announcing uh, tomorrow at the National Press Club press conference uh, in a joint effort that we have with Dr. Michael Sella of the Exopolitics Institute, Victor Vigiani of Exopolitics Toronto, Ambassador John McDonald of the Institute for Multi-Track Diplomacy. Um, we now have spoken to senior officials in both the Office of the President of the UN General Assembly and the Secretariat, and both have indicated that they are prepared to uh, shepherd through a resolution in the General Assembly implementing uh, UN decision 33426 of 1978, where uh, UFO contactee Prime Minister Eric Gehry of Grenada obtained passage of a decision, the UN General Assembly decision, which in effect authorizes setting up a UN agency of extraterrestrial affairs. So the one ingredient that is missing is the mouse that roared. And that is one nation out of the 192 UN member nations to introduce that resolution. And with all of the countries like Peru, Brazil, Mexico, Denmark, France, and UK, we have a head start. So we're going to be issuing a call for member nations to come forward and for us, the citizens, to approach their and other member nations. And the final area that I'm focusing on is uh, reuniting with our genetic cousins, an intelligent civilization uh, that apparently lives under the, sur under the surface and on the surface of Mars, that now through a series of photographs, including NASA photograph PIA 10-14, that we can most plausibly explain as a deliberate leak by NASA to the civilian population by posting on its website a composite photograph taken at ground level by NASA rover Spirit in November 2007 and put on the internet in January of 2008 of a photograph teeming with Martian life, including Martian humans. Those are our three priorities. Thank you. It's a full plate. Victor? Thank you. Uh, Victor Vigiani, Director of Media Relations for Exopolitics Toronto. Myself and uh, our director, Michael, Michael J. Bird, we uh, represent exopolitics in, in Canada and our efforts to widen the circle of, uh, I guess, awareness of the extraterrestrial uh, issue, uh, both in government, uh, in academia, and in the media in Canada. And our main focus is with the media and we work very hard with, uh, with all the agents of the media in Canada to try to uh, get this issue on the main stage uh, in the Canadian forum. And media. We feel very strongly that the Canadian media, uh, despite uh, some of its characteristics, is very, very open to the possibilities 
of uh, covering this issue in a very broad scope and very broad way. So we're working very hard in that direction, along with our initiatives with, with Alfred and with, with Michael. Thank you. I'm Michael Thaler. I founded the Exopolitics Institute in 2005, which was created to help scholars and activists in the field of exopolitics better coordinate and pull their resources together so that they can be most effective in their respective projects. Now we have an online certification program where people can do exopolitics courses. We have an online journal where people can submit uh, scholarly articles, 5,000 words or so, an exhibition uh, coming up in May. And uh, we also organize a regular conference. Uh, Angelica Whitecliffe is the main organizer for the next conference coming up in 2010, and uh, that's also supported by the Institute. And uh, I also have been um, doing some freelance writing for the uh, examiner recently, uh, the Honolulu Examiner, which is also helping to get the word out about exopolitics. Hi, I'm Angelica Whitecliffe, and Michael just did buy me. <laughs> Uh, mostly, I'm here to help promote consciousness, awakening consciousness, uh, and the ideas of transformation and contact, and the transformation that takes place in people because of contact, and bringing those ideas together along with new energy, new science, and merging that into a conference event. We have our next conference in January of 2010 the Earth Transformation Conference. And I also write a column for the examiner. So I am the Earth Transformation Examiner. Hello, I'm Paula Harris. I'm kind of the international component here in that um, because I used to live in Italy for 15 years, I'm kind of a bridge between the United States and Italy. I have written two books on exopolitics. Exopolitics, how do you speak to a wall of light? and Exopolitics, All of the Above, that just came out. Um, I also uh, started out as a journalist and I'm still interviewing um, uh, military witnesses and people who have had experiences. And today, I, and while I've been at this conference, and I have uh, interviewed uh, Milton Torres and uh, uh, Mr. Kirkland. Now, the thing about interviewing them is my interview will be put on my website in Italian, German, French, and English. My website is in four languages, so it goes all over the world. The thing that I'm the most proud of, however, is the fact that at least once a year in Rome, I tend to bring together uh, people, young people who are interested in exopolitics, and they, with their own dime, and I have to stress this because none of us are financed up here. Everything is with our own dime. These guys that have come here have come with their own money, second time they've come. Uh, they came to uh, the conference in Rome at the end of November of this year. Um, uh, Frederick from Denmark, Robert from Germany, Torbian from Sweden, and Pepon from Spain. The result of Pepin's coming uh, to Rome is that in uh, July of this year, there will be a very big conference in exopolitics in Spain. It will blow open the subject in a country that really wants to know about it, and invited our Stephen Greenwich Pope and um, Sergeant Major Robert Dean. Uh, so these things bring enormous satisfaction to us journalists because like everyone else here, we will, I want to see something happen. 
Thank you, Paula. Uh, first of all, I'd just like to say thank you to you because you're bringing us together in Europe. <laughs> uh, my name is Frederick Udell. Uh, I live in Copenhagen in Denmark and I've set up the Danish Exopolitics Initiative uh, and it basically it has to do with awareness raising of the exopolitical issue. Uh, and I mainly do that through the publishing videos on the internet. So we pretty much see what we're doing back there and we're going back to it that all that video material might be last year. Uh, and also, I, last year I distributed James Fox's Out of the Blue documentary to all the members of the Danish parliament. And maybe that is all the thing that the Danish parliament oh, released last year. It's possible, I don't know. <laughs> um, and yeah, I think I'll hand over the mic to my colleague. Thanks, Frederick. Thanks, Paula. Um, my name is Robert Fleischer. Um, I have a background in television and languages. Um, I discovered on the internet some of the videos of the X conference two years ago, I think. And I thought, wow, now that's interesting information. I didn't have that before. I didn't see that anywhere. We should, people should know about that. So that's why I founded in 2000, June 2007 the German Exopolitics Initiative. And what we're mainly doing is we're bringing the information to the German, uh, to the attention of the German public, because, um, as you can imagine, uh, the access to uh, foreign language information is not really easy. We don't speak English, um, so um, we've been doing this for uh, one and a half year now, uh, no, almost, almost two years, yeah. And um, uh, with all the modesty that one should show uh, when you're sitting on a stage, or a lot of people are actually still have to say, I consider what, what we've been doing uh, to be quite successful. Um, it's not only my job, it's also the work of other people that uh, we're working with, uh, Frederick, uh, uh, Michael. So many people, also in Germany, we have a network of 50, 50 60 active people uh, distributing information. And, um, uh, we had more than a million hits, uh, not hits, uh, visitors, unique visitors on our website so far. And uh, I would also assume that uh, the media is taking it seriously because um, I didn't know, I don't know if I already told you that, Stephen, but um, uh, some months after the last X conference uh, last year, where I interviewed Edgar Mitchell about um, Roswell, um, the British released another batch of, of files, and then uh, Germany's biggest TV station, RFE, called me. And they said, we want to have that interview that you made with Edgar Mitchell that we saw on the internet. So I gave it to them, and um, they uh, broadcast that at prime time uh, in Germany with, uh, I don't know, many millions of uh, spectators. And uh, this is the kind of work uh, we're doing. That's why I think um, it's, it's, a, it's an important work because most people have an most people in Germany have an opinion about UFOs, but very few of them have an informed opinion. So we're trying to promote that, and uh, we just trust in the process of uh, people making up their own minds if they have the information available. Wonderful, thank you. Hold on to that mic. Uh, we're going to chat a little bit, but look, anybody wants to do a question, you can come up at any time, and we'll get your mic and uh, take your question. So think about what you like to do. Come on up. I've got a quick question. If I'm not mistaken, Angelica, it sounds like you and Rebecca are on very similar uh, rounds. Do you have plans to work together? Do you have some, are you discussing possibly working together in the future? Well, next year at the X conference, we're going to be doing some, I think, experiencer work, aren't we, Steve? Yes. 
that we're lecturing. Thank you. Hi, my name is Madeline. I'm from Quebec, Canada. And uh, I have a question for Alfred. All right. I was, I've been reading about ETs, UFOs, and stuff like that since I was 15, since my best friend was abducted. And all through these years, reading and reading, and I wanted to make a sense out of it all. And the way I see it now is the ET phenomenon is only one aspect of human reality. My question is, um, it's based on something, it's a big feeling that we're going to be going through a lot of shit in the next years to come. Alfred, if you had someone in front of you and they said, how can I prepare for what's coming? What would you tell them? Thank you. <laughs> okay, very briefly, I would say to expand one's sense of one's multidimensional self and because we are multidimensional beings, uh, like many of the ETs that are visiting Earth, or the ETs that we are discovering on Mars, our neighbor now, through the Mars rover. Um, and by, multi, by multidimensional, uh, I mean just that, that Scientifically, there's a Swedish science who has weighed the soul, weighs about three quarters of an ounce. And uh, that we are not only our physical body, but we are a composite of uh, many etheric bodies, or as people call them, different energy valves that can range from seven to 12 to more. Um, Part of my body may be in the galactic center now as I'm bringing information about the center into this room. Um, that's how large human beings are. And the significance of the shift, I, sh I think, is the shift from our planetary selves to our universal self. Practically speaking, I think that probably daily meditation and prayer is the most practical thing that one can do. And learning more and being in the company of uh, fellow human beings who are willingly uh, joining in this process brought to us by courtesy of the galaxy and beyond. Thank you. All right. Uh, we've got, I'm going to go with the questions. I, I really want the audience to be involved. So. Is, uh, what Mr. Peckham was talking about in the last lecture, so I guess I'll just touch with him. Um, first of all, un unfortunately, people feel the need to, uh, they, they tend to trust or believe in institutions. You know, they, they will hear what uh, one person tells them and um, take it with a grain of salt, but an institution comes out and says it, well, then they seem to think that that uh, amounts to a consensus of sorts, um, <coughs> which uh, tends to be a problem. When we have the uh, U.S. government uh, controlling the information that goes out. Um, at the same time we hear about this, we also hear about this push for governmental disclosure. We want the United States to come in and admit this stuff. Well, you know, if you've been lying and you're about to get caught in a lie, what do you do? You usurp the, the story. You take on the lie yourself and you tell just as much of it um, as you need to serve your own purpose. 
So there's obviously a big problem coming up with United States government disclosure. We're not going to get the whole thing. They're going to be able to manipulate this and therefore public opinion of this. Is there any strategy then to deal with that scenario? Because the last thing that we want is for you people to be called irrelevant because now the government has taken this over and you know they're going to walk us through this process, which is the last thing we want. Um, there you go. Uh, who's, who wants to take that on, Jeff? So, well, my, my strategy in Denver is simply to uh, engage the public in a very direct way because my observation is that when voters are confronted with an issue that they're being asked to vote on, that they rise to a higher level of responsibility. They assume a level of power that is inherently theirs that they don't normally utilize and they take the whole issue very seriously and they, play, they make their decision. Now whether they vote for or against this ballot initiative is actually less important than the fact that they are engaged in thinking about it, discussing it, make a, making a personal decision, things that they may not have a reason to do. So this is just a very local thing that I do believe will provide a breakthrough and set an example. And my prediction is that it might create a race, not to the finish line, but to the starting line of disclosure. And that when they are starting to feel irrelevant and ignored, that that's when they will start to pay attention. Because then they'll feel like they're losing control of a very important issue. And they just don't like that. Well said. That's advanced activism. Uh, I have a question for Milt. Uh, Milt, I call him Milt now. We're buddies. Major, simple question. You you were a pilot, a serviceman. You were a uh, uh, teacher, yeah. university, and then you retired. I think generally. Well, quiet, uh, right? When I was teaching, I was teaching and I was in research. And research as well. And then you retired, comfortable life in Florida, and then all of a sudden the press start calling, and you're finally able to let the cat out of the bag that you've, you've carried around on your back for years. Okay. Now that that's happened, are you are you starting to feel a little like an activist? You starting to get that sense? No, I'm kind of set in my ways. I like my history channel. I like education. <laughs> I like that. Now, education includes all education, not some education. But all of you, every time you sit in front of a, a, a good news program and you get a little bit of information, that's something you have to continue to use and continue to, to learn because that's important. My, my biggest problem is I'm wondering how long it's going to be before my uh, remote thing starts working. <laughs> <laughs> Which is to say that, that uh, you know, he's, had, he's paid his dues, he's worked a long time. Don't, I, I, don't, I don't have to get everybody out of the front line uh, challenging the, the state. But let me say this, Milk is going to call on Monday morning for the government to, to end the truth embargo. And, 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 and that will be a brief, shining moment of advocacy. All right, let's have another question. Okay. Um, I, I want to address, who's the guy with the glasses in the middle and just talked about language and perception? Victor, yeah, um, I think perception comes before language because that's why we're all here because we've had, we've perceived reality, realities that we're trying to give language to. 
So what's happening here and on the panel is that we're forming an exo-culture, you know, that's giving voice to these cognitions. And um, it's sort of like the pre-birth when disclosure comes. That is the birthing of the culture. So all of us are in the formation of an exo-consciousness. And that's why I think the development of exo-consciousness is very important. So I want to see what you and other people on the panel see how we can expand exo-consciousness to more, not say imaginal realms, but higher forms of perception so we can then create the language for the general population to then incorporate into their mainstream thinking. So first, and then Rebecca, yes. Yeah, I, in my years of education, uh, 35 years of it, um, and you may be right, perception may precede language because you know, young children, before they have a language, they do have the capacity to perceive. Uh, in my years in the classroom, uh, one of the things that, that I had to do as, a, as an educator is give uh, children a way to express those perceptions and language, um, writing language and speaking language, is writing as much as you can and developing as much of the lexicon in your own personal uh, frame of perception was so important to me and watching children develop that. And I use that, um, that, that type of uh, approach in all the work that I do. That's why I, I focus very carefully on language. And for perhaps there's sort of um, uh, simultaneous processes. Um, when you watch a child try to develop a perception, they attempt to do it in many different ways. And I try to use that with, with journalists, with people in the media who have a preconceived notion about the language that they're involved in. And it's so limited in their capacity to understand this concept. So in, in us expanding the on of exopolitics, we have to provide them with as much information, first of all, and then all of the words that are necessary to describe the situation. As I said earlier, there's no words to describe biology. There is no biology. There's just that thing that grows in the ground. Alfred Weber came up with the word ecopolitics. Now we have something to describe. That's right. Sure. And I think yeah, that will be the next several years of, of doing that. And that's, way, that's the way that, that this disclosure will work, is that we are going to be called upon, all of us, everyone in this room, are going to be called upon as experts to, to kind of uh, give validity to the concept by using the language that, that, that we've used for years now to uh, express it among ourselves. Now we have to expand that circle. Anyone else wants to? Rebecca? I just like to comment on the exoconsciousness. I had a very interesting um, talk a couple years ago with psychiatrists and philosophers about psychopathology and exoconsciousness. And is being exoconscious psychopathological, and does it belong in a psychiatric diagnosis? And it was interesting that as I began to dialogue with these academics, that I would bring up the vocabulary that I was used to dealing with as a person who's in ufology and exopolitics, and all I got was blank stares. <laughs> they didn't have the language, they didn't have the vocabulary, and furthermore, they most importantly probably, they didn't have the experience. And they didn't have the permission. And so I began to think creatively because one of the things that I work with is how are we going to get contact and exoconsciousness into the mainline normal, the paranormal as normal? And so I began to ask around, I said, well, in the gay community, how would the psychiatric profession decide that being gay was normal? And you know what they told me? 
detective profession and had them take a vote on what what is what is um, normal and what is sane. Um, and really quickly, I wanted to address the woman who was talking about asking Alfred, what can we do to prepare for this post-disclosure world? First and foremost, I would suggest to people what they do is learn to remove the trauma scars from your brain and get a balanced, unified brain. The one thing we know about extrasensible brains is that they talk about that they have a unified, balanced brain. Get your brain balanced through music, through meditation, through something that I did called brain-based technology, through yoga. Learn to balance those signals in your brain. Learn to use your psychic abilities. Learn to use your, your telepathic abilities, your intuitive abilities. Learn to, to think about your body as an energy system. So when we all learn how to teleport or transfigure and become a different molecular form, we can take our body, dissolve it, and then reform it again. So learn to, to, to live differently in your body. She said about taking your body with you. Those Buddhists in Tibet and various other places have been doing this for years, sometimes since they ascend. Usually when they ascend, they leave only their fingernails and their toenails behind. The only person who I know took his entire body with him was Jesus. And I've been meditating for 40 years doing this parapsychology stuff for a long time. It took me 20 years as a teacher in a church environment to get them to even recognize that that might be a possibility. I've been um, giving a lot of talks over the last six years to the military, to law enforcement, to defense contractors, to kids in schools, to um, anybody you can think of, the former mayor of Baghdad, uh, Caffeine was the mayor of Baghdad for eight months in 2004. And talking about language, the language of peace is something that we don't talk about very much because we think we can't achieve it sometimes. But in reality, it only takes about 21 days to create a new habit. And what I would tell my friends is that if you take a post-it note and you write on your post-it note, I am peace, and you stick it on your bathroom mirror or your computer or your refrigerator and you look at it many, many times a day, in about 21 days, give or take a few days, even sooner, you will have rewired your mind, your heart. You will have seen how easy it is to let go of old ideas mm -hmm. and to create a new habit. And then people say, wow, I'll have what she's having. What's she doing that's so different? And we'll say, it's a choice. It's a choice to decide to be peace and to let go of violence. And perhaps when we get to this stage, all of us collectively, we will then be invited to enter the cosmic community because we are growing up, we are no longer teenagers who are out of control with our raging violent hormones. We are coming into the adult, mature world of people who understand why we're here and where we're going. And this is one of the reasons that Dr. Edgar Mitchell has invited Rebecca and me to be part of his Quantrek team because this is part of his focus going into the future. Very good. Uh, we gotta, we got to move on. I, I've got a question for Joe Montalvo. You could move the mic the other direction. Joe, that one, there you go. Uh, and Joe, you may have to slide up a little bit. 
Yeah. Um, you, you did mention in the introduction that you have you founded a group called ICAR, and it, uh, it's, it's essentially kind of a grassroots organization, of thousands of members dealing with contact issues, and with many, many, many contactees in it. It's near as I can tell, you built the largest grassroots contact network in the world. Do you foresee the contactees, experiencers, abductees, however they wish to be called, do you, do you see them soon becoming a political force and exerting the pressure uh, collectively? You know, it's interesting you brought that up because last night I was up late uh, dealing with some of my state directors and some of our radio show hosts. And uh, one of the things that they're going to implement this year is we're going to try to get all 12,500 of our contactees to sign a petition for disclosure from our government. Also, we want to have the, uh, the, uh, the affidavit, I mean, the, uh, the, the, what we're going to have signed. I want to give it to you so you have it on file as well with the actual political committee. But the thing about it is now, uh, we're also something else I should be telling you, but I'm going to tell you now anyway. We decided last night, uh, starting next year in March, Every month, the PRN network, which I own, will be Exopolitical Month from now on. March will be the Exopolitical Month. All 52 of our programs will be Exopolitics for the entire month of March to prepare for Stephen's XS Exopolitical Conference. So we're going to donate all of our time and efforts. Very to nice. Thank you. Right. We've got a question. Uh, this question is for Angelica and Dr. Hardcastle. Uh, I'm, just in my personal investigation, I've just noticed that uh, when it came to the paranormal investigations, that is, I've noticed my friends who are psychics have a tendency to uh, have more encounters with crafts. So I was just curious if, if in your field with conscious work with consciousness, you've encountered uh, the same the um, same thing where psychics uh, have uh, been drawn or the ships have been drawn to these psychics because I've just noticed that. We do have captured pictures of them in our investigations. So I don't know if you can elaborate on that. And uh, I guess as individuals, what else can we do to have an encounter? Because personally, I don't, I'm not gonna hold my breath for the government for disclosure, so. Well, I think, I think one of the most important things that we can do is to recognize that we are multidimensional and to start utilizing those abilities uh, and to start training ourselves, definitely through meditation, but also it's a very conscious choice that one makes that you want to pursue this area, that you want to pursue expanding your consciousness into higher states. And it's, it's more than doing meditation. As a multidimensional being, when we uh, are inspired, when we are in these states where we are literally penetrating outside of this density into higher frequency ranges, then what we're doing is we are also opening ourselves up to contact with other realities and beings at other frequencies. And when you do so by first making the very clear intent of what you wish to achieve, for example, if you wish to make, start making telepathic contact with other entities at other frequencies, then absolutely step forward to do that, but first be clear that you only wish to have contact with those entities 
who are in service to the highest good for all, and who are willing to recognize uh, the will of your higher self. When you set parameters like this, what you do is you're, first of all, you're showing yourself uh, self-respect. And you are telling the universe that these are the parameters that you want to set up in which you want to move forward in. It helps to create safety and security for you to start exploring realms that might be very new for you. And so this is a real important aspect. And so the more you do this, uh, practicing the telepathic communication and the multidimensional consciousness, then what I found in working with seminars and at my conferences, that we will start taking pictures and though we won't see the ships with our physical eyes, we will have the ships show up on the film footage afterwards. And what this, uh, what this phenomenon is, is basically these ships are outside of our physical visual range. They're operating in other frequencies. They're just outside of our reality, you might say. But with consciousness, we can totally permeate these other realities. And really, I think um, the many, many ETs out there are waiting for us to take this step and to do it in a loving way, in a peaceful way, in a way in which we are deciding we want to extend our hand in brotherhood and sisterhood to our cosmic neighbors. And this opens the door for them to communicate back with us. And it's been my experience that this is one of the best ways to start calling in the ships and actually getting your verification. Even if you don't see them with your physical eyes, examine the photographs afterwards and you'll get orbs, you will get other different phenomenons to, to validate for you that there is multi-dimensional contact taking place. Thank you, thank you. I have a question for um, uh, Frederick and Robert too if he comes back. Um, it's too busy. But it, yeah, well, they're live streaming. I mean, they're multitasking. They're live streaming in Europe. They're answering questions. Um, uh, Europe, see, the United States is the home truth department. I mean, that's really where it starts. Uh, we were the superpower. We called the shots. We made the call. The other nations went along. That's a surprise. So in Europe, really, I mean, so most of the most of the focus on maintaining this this. Uh, embargo, which was here. The Americans got the brunt of it. Europe, I, I don't think so. I, I think they, they were going to follow along and the, the, those governments really didn't need to work their citizens over about it. So I think that's why in Europe, I think it's, there's, I think, potentially a greater receptivity for rapid politicalization issues. Now I'm not surprised that we already have uh, an exopolitics website in Denmark, in Germany, in Spain, in France, we just added Belgium, and of course David Griffin in the UK. Who am I crazy? In, in due course, we could have an exopolitical website for the EWN Exopolitical Forum Network in every country in Europe. Uh, do you do you feel this way as, as well? And any thoughts on how we can rapidly get the rest of the countries on board here? European countries. Uh, actually, I, I received many emails from uh, people in other European countries who uh, uh, who to, to regularly go to export to Germany or export to Denmark. Um, and uh, they say, I want to find that in my country as well. 
And uh, I think that, uh, I mean, the way it started, uh, what you're expecting back then, I just, I just started that. I don't think that we have to take an active approach uh, for more European countries to come aboard. I mean, we had, I think we had more or less two initiatives per year coming on board for the last two years. That was, you know, I think this is it's a process, you know, and it's, uh, it's all right. Well, do me a favor. If, if you have any more queries about people that want to try to do what you're doing in your, your country, you need to forward it to me right away so I can get to them and let's set them up. Let's set the site up. Sure, sure. Right? First come, first serve. They want to do it. They like the issue. Sure. They can create a site. Let's do that. Yeah, they have questions about, you know, how the technical, you know, technical things because, uh, I mean, not everybody can do that because it no. takes certain, not, you know, you need uh, knowledge in the internet, uh, media, you need a certain journalistic uh, feelings, you need whatever you need, you know, but it's, uh, I think that's the thing that keeps most people from becoming very active from the very first day on. In fact, one of my favorite sites, not my favorite not the site, but rather the setup, is, is, is France. Jean Jacques Dubon. Jean Dubon. Jean Charles Dubon. Jean Charles Dubon, that's right, Jean Charles. He's a witness. In fact, he was at the uh, November 12th uh, press conference, the National Press Club, that was put together by James Fox and Leslie Kane, uh, because he was a French airline captain. And had a pretty extraordinary sighting, and he's a highly reputable person. And so he came, and among the other individuals, he talked about that at the press club. And that's all well and good. And he went back to France, and then he contacted me and set up the ExoPolitics France website. So he is a, a witness, he's a pilot, he's running the website. See, th this gives you a sense of the convergence of, of the politics, the people, the experience, and what have you. Uh, and there will be more of those coming on pretty soon. Now, let's see. We've Can got I answer some of that? Sure. Having lived in Italy and having spoken in Switzerland, France, and so forth, the difference between Europe and the United States and the European media and the news shows is that the word UFO does not have a stigma to it because they're looking at an unidentified flying object, a phenomenon that exists. And not only does it exist for some of those countries, like France that put out the Cometa report, it's a matter of national security. So whatever is flying over airspace, it doesn't need to be, like our discussion before, paranormal phenomena in your consciousness that expands or whatever it is. They are convinced that whatever is up there could be a problem for national security, which is not the way we all want to look at it because we want to know what's inside the craft. But it's much easier and much more digestible in Europe because they're looking at UFOs and using the word UFO, and it's no big deal. It helps that, of course, in another country, uh, a different language, right? For instance, in, in Latin America, Central America, UFO, it's not called UFO, it's called an OVNI. You see? Remember, terminology and lexicon we talked about before? The government chose UFO, that acronym, as the seed kernel for the ridicule project. Ridicule that acronym. Make everything you can to make that silly and nonsensical. And then append people to the acronym, you got them. But you go to the country, it's not UFO, it's opening. And unless the Mexican government's tried to do the same thing with that term, it doesn't work. And so outside the U.S., there's just not the resistance to the politicization process, which is another reason why the circle is closing around the United States. So pretty soon, our government's going to look out, and they're going to see a bunch of eyes looking, and I'm like, okay, when are you going to do it? When are you going to do it? When are you going to do it? So, next question here. And in fact, this is going to be the last question on the floor. We're, we're done in four minutes.
Excuse me. Can I can I add something to Absolutely, the, Robert. Uh, 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 activist thing. Uh, you know, I consider it really important that we build up that we build up a network, and that's the way how we've been working in Europe, especially uh, thanks to Paula's uh, important work that she's uh, been doing to keep us all together, and uh, we try to cooperate wherever we can. And I think networking is, is a real important thing. We're building up an online community of people where uh, all the people who want to get involved in exopolitics in Germany can um, register and get in touch with each other. And I really invite everyone um, to, to adapt this thing. I did that away for free to install it so that you, uh, you can have uh, online communities Europe in your country. And I think the networking, uh, the, uh, the idea of networking and solving uh, tasks together is a model of the future anyway. Of course. Yes, indeed. All right. Our last question from the floor. I will try to run. Um, it seems like uh, there are organizations that have been able to get a lot of free publicity by the, by uh, using the notoriety to their advantage, like PETA having uh, uh, essentially nude women with um, uh, vegetables over them, like serving them in provocative ways. Okay. Now, this idea isn't quite as provocative as that. I'm, I'm thinking that you have someone here that can manage and infomercial really well. And uh, uh, both convey uh, a, a very uh, lively dialogue uh, with uh, any one of you, or all of you, over a tightly edited infomercial or series of infomercials, so that uh, not only would you be able to uh, discuss the topics that are important to you, perhaps even sell some of this, uh, you all have products of different kinds, and then in, uh, maybe you have six of them in rotation, and you put them Sunday afternoon, right after the talk shows, all the talking shows, and all the talking heads in the morning. You have people that are interested in, in these topics, and right after that, you usually go to real estate ads, uh, very, well, a lot of different types of infomercials that aren't that interesting to most people. So you have some people hanging on after these political shows that would be interested in uh, this topic. Joe. I think you're absolutely right. Um, and the key to that, in some respects, is humor and viral, viral marketing. I did two uh, 60 second commercials for my campaign uh, for Congress, both of which kind of had a little bit of fun with the whole alien thing. Because the audience that I'm talking to is just going to take disclosure seriously or they're serious about it. And there's no way to convince anybody else who wanted to have fun with it. And the, the goal of that was to get those ads attached to emails and sent around and having people talking about it, creating buzz. Uh, probably the best book out there right now that, that I've uh, seen recently is called um, how to, something like How to Create a Worldwide Rave. The word rave is just getting people talking about whatever your product or service is. And, and in the context of that, there's really no such thing as bad publicity. It's okay if people make fun about us if we're getting the message or part of that seed kernel out there. We, we can do back what Steve was just talking about in terms of government strategy, back at that and spreading that message. And the key to that that you raise is really video. Anything else is pretty much boring, especially if you're the other thing I wanted to add what what was said earlier around advancing the ESO consciousness, ESO political agenda, 
it can become a peaceful human being. To heal the old scars and wounds and create a planet that, that lives as the guardian space that is here to live us. That, that that is the key to advancing both of those agendas, I believe. And then I'd ask you to take a look at libertarianism as the political philosophy that best advances that as well. And I don't have to go on. All right, thank you, Joe. We've got one more question from one of our AV people, and I like to keep my AV people happy. So. Well, then I've got a question for Uncle Will. Wait. All right, hang on. Here you go. This question is from Ms. Harris and uh, Mr. Elvis. Um, thank you all, um, all, all, all together, for um, coming forth with the disclosure information that y'all um, received by yourself during your own private investigation. Um, um, the movie industry, and as um, far as um, she was saying about um, 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 CIA, or I mean, not you, but um, that was I was reading about CIA coming to certain um, Hollywood. Um, I mean, um, movie producers paying them to do certain movies. Um, and with your uh, presentation, like opened my head up some more. Um, but 2009, we had three top movies: um, The Day That Earth Stood Still, Keanu Reeves. Um, the giant, I think, is the Anunnaki, and um, the data, um, the race, the witch mountain, uh, which was excellent, and um, the, the movie I just seen called The Knowing with um, Nicholas Cage about the numbers that was in the time vault. Now, I just watched this movie and I wasn't even thinking or you know have, um, that any type of UFO activity was in this movie, but as you, as the movie gets deep into it. It's about the 2012 solar max that supposed to happen. And at the end of the movie, the aliens come back, humanoid form, humanoid looking, come back and rescue all the kids. And Keanu Reeves had to give his son up so he can go off and live a happy life, a peaceful life on another planet. And at the end, like all the kids are on the planet, you can see all like different different planets in the um, in the sky, and they like run into a tree, huge tree, white. White leaves, um, the tree of life, I guess, and um, it was like real deep. Yeah, cool movie, and it just threw me off guard because I didn't even think it was it would be on that type of a subject. And that's when I learned about the solar maxes like a couple of weeks ago watching that movie, and then confirmation with Mr. Albert. So yeah, it's coming together. This is a good example. There's this convergence. We are we are running late, folks. We've got to get going here. This convergence of of media, entertainment, politics, contactees, government action. Look, this is happening. And I know there's some people who can't believe that, but I think it's pretty obvious that it is. All right, uh, before we move to the wrap up here, uh, Ron James, who is in charge of the AV this year, wants to say a couple words. Mr. James. Hi, everybody. I just wanted to uh, take a moment to acknowledge the fact that this year we had a lot of really good volunteers and a lot of uh, really good staff to make sure that the AV went relatively uh, seamlessly, except for the obvious scenes. <laughs> <laughs> and I also wanted to let people know that we do have the DVDs for the conference. We're just about sold out the ones we have on site, but we have order forms. And the entire conference is available for 150 or you can order DVDs anywhere from 20 down to $10 each. And if you fill out the order form, your shipment will go out within a week, and it's guaranteed it comes from my studio in Arizona. So if you haven't gotten your DVDs yet, get them now, because once the conference is over, if you haven't ordered, 
be a little harder to get, um, mostly because you won't be able to find me. Um, so anyway, I just wanted to, to have a round of applause for all the AD people for help. And in particular, I want to know uh, two of my long, long time supporters who are also pretty smart cookies. Uh, really jumped in here to help, and I'm referring to Jim Boca, the gentleman in the orange, and uh, Paul Mayhay, the distinguished gentleman with the beard. Um, and of course, we had many other volunteers uh, Anne Marie out at the desk, and Jill King, and Seth Baraka, who gave a correct question here. They, they've been with me for a long time. They just emerged out of nowhere. I, I didn't put out an ad or anything. And they're just always here. And I have others, uh, Chan Bennett's always come down from New York. Without them, we could do it. Um, and so I'm not sure they'll be there next year. Uh, so uh, and, uh, we're very pleased with how uh, the AV went. And, and so now I want to give a round of applause to Ron, who came in short notice from Sedona to put this on. Cheryl Burrow is here. Uh, so now, uh, 
Ah, uh, there's the missing. I told you there was a better. Don't forget X Conference Team 10 will be right here April 16 to 18. Information and registration forms will be available on the website soon. Okay, now, if, tomorrow morning, yeah. Right. Uh, now, if there are any other speakers that are not on the activist panel, I'd like you to all come up. Now, what I'd like is for you three and you three to come on up and sit on the stage here, please. Right? And if we have any other speakers, Richard, that are part of the conference, I'd like you to come up and either sit on the stage or stand behind, right, if we don't have enough room, the people in the chairs and watch that drop off back there. All right, any other speakers? All right, a number of them have to go, uh, so we may lose some. Uh, no, that's not gonna work, Richard. Okay, if we have nobody else, and we're gonna have Richard, uh, it's not so bad. How is, uh, are your folks on your Zoom, are you getting, can you get everybody with your Zooms? Are you okay? All right, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what folks, all at once, see if you can sidle your chairs up about 10 inches, all right? Not, not, not too much, that's it. about 10 inches. Where's Cheryl? Cheryl? Come around here. Should we do this? Okay, okay. All right, now let's see. How are we going to do this, dear? Maybe, maybe we will, maybe we will, no. We'll stand up, that's exactly what we're gonna do. Okay, perfect, perfect. Now we got him. All right, folks, focus for a second, right? Everybody get in here, find us, find us smiling phrase. All right, let's take some photos. Conference 2009, official photos to be spread throughout Facebook and the internet and MySpace, Twitter, tweeted. Alright? Wish we had everyone here. Edgar's kind to be here. Uh, and uh, John, I think he's got tied up. Uh, Jim Graham Hancock had to leave early, but it's still a pretty good group. Hard to get them all. If you combine this with the photo from the cocktail photo, you get the two, and you got pretty much everybody. What? Sure, mix them up. All right. Now, as soon as you're done, our official photographer, who has the super duper deluxe wide angle, high quality uh, definition, but whatever, gonna come up and take 